Welcome to the Whitefields Community Church Podcast. For more information about our church, including location and service times, visit us online at whitefieldschurch.com. If you are blessed by this message, please consider sharing it with others and leaving a rating or review on your favorite podcast app. Let's go ahead and take a look at our text, looking at Galatians chapter 5 as we uh, study the fruit of the Spirit. In verse 16 it says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, uh, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again that we can come together, that we can study your word together and see the truths that you have for us. Give us wisdom to understand these things and uh, might your Holy Spirit uh, solidify these things in our hearts and our minds that we would walk away from here changed, that we would desire to walk with you and not after the desires of the flesh, that we would delight all the more in living lives that are pleasing to you and not to ourselves. So bless our time of fellowship together this morning, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, how many of you struggle with sin? Anyone? Yeah. Yeah, it's part and parcel of being a Christian. It's who we are. And it's, a, it's, a, it's an indication that the Holy Spirit dwells within you. Before we were saved, there was no fight. There was no struggle. Uh, the only thing was disappointments because we didn't get to indulge in the sins we wanted to. Um, but as Christians, now we have two competing desires. Desires of the flesh and the desires of the Spirit. So we're going to be looking at this this, this morning. But before we get into that, Let's go back to the very beginning and how it all started. So God created all things and they were good in his eyes as only they could be because God is an awesome God and his ways are perfect. And he made Adam and Eve to tend the garden, uh, to have fellowship uh, with one another and with him. And so things were great in God's garden and Adam and Eve enjoyed God's beautiful creation. And mind you, at this point, uh, the curse of sin had not entered the world, so everything was in pristine and perfect shape the way God intended it. And yet even now, in, in creation, in its fallen state, we can still rejoice at the majesty of God just looking at the mountains, his wonderful creation. And so this is what Adam and Eve enjoyed uh, perfectly. They also enjoyed fellowship with God. They had a personal relationship with him. They could talk with him. They could enjoy his company. And then they were also blessed with God's good commands, God's commands to protect them. Uh, One of which was don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because God knew that if they ate of it, they would bring the curse of sin upon them. And so he didn't want that to happen. He loved them. So they walked with God 
That was their daily life. It's all they knew how to do. Until one day, Satan, one of the angels that rebelled against God, enticed Adam and Eve with the desires of the flesh. He slandered God and lied to Adam and Eve. Now at this point, Adam and Eve should have quickly turned to God and trust in him. They should have said, well, Father, uh, we are hearing some bad things from one of the creatures in your garden and let him handle it. But instead they didn't. Rather, Eve relied on her own misunderstanding of God that was just fed to her by Satan. And as such, she ate of the fruit that she was forbidden to eat. And Adam, we learned, was with her the whole time. He didn't say anything. Uh, he just went along with the program uh, and, and also ate of the fruit. And upon doing so, they rebelled against God and the curse of sin uh, was upon him as it is upon us uh, by nature of, of the wrath of God against sin. They no longer had that intimate fellowship with God. They were condemned to carry out the works of the flesh. Now that's all they could do. Before they walked with God and enjoyed his fellowship, now they could only walk in the desires of the flesh. The curse of sin was on them. But with God, there's always hope. God had a plan of redemption that was already in place uh, from before the foundation of the world. At that time, he promised that one day he would undo the curse of sin by paying the penalty with his own life. And we know this be, to be true because Jesus has come and he died on the cross and paid for the penalty of our sins so that we wouldn't have to, so that we can be reconciled to the Father. And more than that, he promised uh, that one day he would give us his Holy Spirit so that we could actually bear the fruit of the Spirit, so that we could actually obey God. As it uh, says in Ezekiel 36, verse 27, God promised, I will put my spirit within you to cause you to obey my commands. So God is good. He had this plan of salvation uh, to pay the penalty for our sins and to give us the wherewithal to obey him. As you recall, the Israelites, uh, they were called to take over the promised land and God told them, if you obey me, if you trust me, I will go before you and deliver you from your enemies. I will take them out because I'm a good God, I'm a faithful God, and I will fulfill my promise to you to give you the promised land. Now, don't think God is cruel. Uh, those folks had already stored up wrath against themselves because they were committing heinous evil, even sacrificing their own children. So these weren't innocent people by any means. But God said, if you trust me, I'll go before you. If you don't trust me, you'll be defeated. And this is what we see uh, with our sinful nature. If we trust God, we are more than overcomers as Christians. If we don't trust God, we'll be defeated and given to sin. So God is good. He's given us this plan of redemption. Uh, he's given us his spirit to dwell within us so we can obey his commands. And if you're a Christian this morning, you've already experienced these blessings from God. Like I said before, the fact that you have a battle within you, a desire to sin, but yet a desire to please God, that's an evidence, uh, an indication that the Spirit's within you. And the blessing of this is that before you became a Christian, you were spiritually dead. You were under the curse of sin. You were an enemy of God. There was nothing you could do about it. We can't save ourselves. We can't earn salvation. Uh, there's no good that we could do that would make us right with God. The wages of sin is death, and the only way to pay for sin is for someone to die. And Jesus came to die in our place. Before you only knew the desires of the flesh, now you have the desires of the spirit within you as well. And that battle has begun. And God has called us to resist the desires of the flesh. And so we can because the spirit dwells within us. But that fight rages on. And turning to our text, 
uh, Paul is writing to the churches in Galatia. They were wavering in the fight. They were failing. They had heard the gospel and believed. They professed faith in Jesus Christ, but a false teacher had come into the church and was leading them astray. He was telling them to go back to the old ways, to rely on their own strength uh, to do what's pleasing to God, uh, to, to put their faith in works rather than Christ. And so they were being led astray. And so Paul sees this and he's discouraged and concerned. And so he writes to them uh, that they wouldn't walk by the flesh, but rather that they would walk by the spirit. So let's see what he says. Looking at verse 16, uh, that first sentence there, it says, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So that first part of the phrase, walk by the spirit, uh, this is a verb, it's in the imperative. It's a commandment. We are commanded to walk by the spirit. Now there's good news in this. Uh, there's promises that are wrapped up into this, this verse in and of itself. Uh, it implies that it's possible to walk by the Spirit. God wouldn't give us a command uh, if he wouldn't give us the ability to do it. It also implies that we're able to turn away from the desires of the flesh. This is good news. Are any of you sick of giving in to the same old sins? A couple of us? Yeah. Uh, it's, it's very important to, to understand this, that God has given us his power Sometimes we can think that, well, God hasn't delivered me uh, from my sin, but that's not true. The deliverer has come and he's given us his Holy Spirit uh, so that we can resist the flesh, we can resist temptation. But what is the flesh? And what are the desires of the spirit? Well, let's start by defining flesh. The flesh is essentially our sinful human nature. Paul says this in Ephesians 2, 3, talking about before we were saved, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Since the curse of sin entered the world because of Adam and Eve, our body and minds desire things that are contrary to what pleases God. We are rebels by nature, rebellious against the goodness of God, rebellious against who he is, rebellious against his good commands. It's our sinful nature. It's, it's, it's the curse of sin at work in our lives. We want to feel, do, and think about things that gratify ourselves without God's approval and without doing so to please him. We're putting our trust in ourselves and the sinful things of this world, just like Adam and Eve did when they were faced with that first temptation. They didn't turn to God they focus on the temptation. They listen to the lies of Satan. And so they brought the curse of sin upon themselves and upon us. And it's important to understand that when you look at the world around us, people overall do good things, right? Uh, we hear the question often, well, how can God send people to hell that are good, decent, morally upright people? Well, why are they doing those things? Well, they're definitely not doing it because they love God. They're not doing it because they want to glorify God and they want to worship him. They're doing it for themselves. It's a pat on the back. They're doing it for their own self-glorification. It's selfishness. It's a work of the flesh. Until we're reconciled to the Father through Jesus Christ, we can't obey God. So therefore, everything we do, even the good things that we do, is sin. And so we're encouraged uh, as Christians that we can walk by the Spirit. However, we still have wicked desires, don't we? Would you be a little embarrassed if uh, people could read your mind throughout the day? Yeah? Or what if we put them on the screens here, uh, here at church, and people could see exactly what you're thinking about or what you did this week? Yeah, it'd be mortifying, right? 
Um, you might get in trouble with the law. But uh, uh, as Christians, we have these wicked desires. So don't be discouraged by that. That's, that's just the way it's going to be until Christ returns. But there's good news. Uh, we can resist these things. And sometimes, sadly, though, we're so intent on pursuing sin uh, that we'll avoid God and his people. Have you ever done that? You, you're so deceived into thinking that this one thing uh, will, will be the ultimate thing to have. And uh, so you continue to pursue it, and you shut God out, and you shut people out. We do it all day. Anytime we sin, this is what we're doing. But God, in his love for us, if you're a true Christian, if, if you, you're a new creation, God loves you, and he's going to discipline you. And he's going to teach you the wisdom of pursuing God rather than the passions of the flesh. So God is at work, and he's doing a good thing in all of us, and we can rejoice in this. Now let's define uh, the desires of the flesh. And I think we can all relate to these. Uh, If not all of them, at least some of them uh, are things that we struggle with on a daily basis. And it says here in the text, the works of the flesh are evident, evident in contrast to the fruit of the spirit, as we'll see. Sexual immorality, Uh, This is basically adultery and fornication. And as Jesus taught us in the New Testament, that it's not just the act of going out and committing uh, sexual immorality, it's our thought life. We can be just as guilty of sexual immorality in our minds as we can uh, uh, in a physical sense. And so this this is selfishness. This is void of what God calls us to do. It's void of love. Impurity is the next one that uh, Paul lists here. And this speaks to impure thoughts and conduct. And in his day, it referred to idolatrous worship uh, that involved cult prostitution. Worship, as you know, is meant to be pure. It's worship of the true living God, uh, the way he commands us. But this impurity is is distorting that. It's perverting that and involving such things as as prostitution involved in it. Uh, So it's impure. Sensuality. This is uh, basically having a dirty mind, pursuing sexual excess. And uh, think of Sodom and Gomorrah. That's basically uh, what sensuality uh, refers to. Idolatry. This is worshiping something other than God. And if you paid attention in your life as a Christian, we can make an idol out of anything, whether it's just a thought in our imagination or whether it's an item, a material object, what have you. Uh, We can worship lifestyles and whatnot. There's all sorts of things that we can turn into an idol, worshiping it rather than God. Sorcery, this is witchcraft, casting of spells, and probably more, more common to what we see today, it's the use of drugs to produce a spiritual experience. And you see this in false religions around the world because they equate worship with a feeling. And in order to uh, create this feeling, they do drugs. And as soon as they get that higher or the results of using those drugs, they think they're worshiping. But we know that regardless of our feelings, uh, worship involves the object And the object in our case is worshiping the true living God. And yes, feelings, uh, joyous feelings go with that. uh, But true worship is when you're worshiping God, not just trying to find a feeling. Uh, In a sense, it's making your emotions an idol. Enmity. This is hating others, making enemies, despising others. And unfortunately, you hear people talk about others behind their back, and they're despising them, usually over petty things. They're not upholding justice. They're not defending God's glory. Uh, it's, it's completely void of love. They're just condemning somebody because they don't like some, some silly thing about them. It's enmity. Uh, strife, selfishly picking fights with others. Uh, it's when we're quarrelsome uh, or contentious. 
Again, we're not upholding justice. We're not trying to uphold uh, sound doctrine or defend God or defend others. Uh, it's purely just reacting uh, to others and uh, trying to promote ourselves, uh, just quick to, to disagree and cause an argument. Jealousy. It's pretty straightforward. We resent someone because they have something we want. It's coveting. Fits of anger. This is being short-fused, quick to react in anger with an en- intent to overpower. Uh, it's not being reasonable. It's not being gentle. It's not promoting peace. It's shutting people down because you think you're right. It's all about pride and selfishness. Rivalries. This is selfish ambition uh, with intent to shut everyone else down. It's uh, climbing that ladder and stepping on whoever you need to to get where you want to go. Dissensions. This is severing ties with others. Uh, When disagreements occur, what have you, uh, it's, it's shutting the door on them. Uh, literally and figuratively at times. Uh, it's, it's closing the door to any hope of reconciliation. And so you're, you're shutting people out. Divisions. This is to cause factions, especially in the church, often over non-essential doctrine, or in the case of the churches in Galatia, false teachers were causing division. They were telling people to turn away from Christ and to follow them. They wanted to be the center of attention. They wanted the glory. And so they were causing divisions in the church for their own self-promotion. Envy. This is a feeling of displeasure towards those who succeed or have certain advantages. We're called to rejoice with those who rejoice. But this is getting angry because God has blessed somebody with something. Uh, Totally selfish. Drunkenness. Pretty straightforward. It's to be drunk with wine or alcohol. Uh, And it speaks more to the idea of seeking to be drunk. People that live for the weekend, uh, they want to escape from the stressors of daily life. And so they put their faith in this experience that they're going to have when they go out and uh, put back a few and uh, get that experience of intoxication as if somehow that resolves the world's problems, at least temporarily. Orgies, this is joining in with a bunch of revelers or rioters, usually drunk people. And in Paul's day, people would go out in the name of their false god and uh, drunkenly so and cause all sorts of destruction uh, as they were going about doing this. So this is what Paul is referring to with regards to orgies. But when we think about this, uh, let's evaluate these things. Who benefits from any of these desires of the flesh or these sins? Nobody. Not even the people that are supposedly getting what they want. Because think about this. Uh, Whenever you've indulged in sin, it's the anticipation of it that you get right before you get it or or with the hope that you'll get it. Uh, But as soon as you get what you want, you're not satisfied. You want something else. And so you graduate onto other things and you can find people uh, when people get arrested for heinous crimes. uh, They didn't just go out and do that uh, out of nowhere. It started these small little sins, these small little uh, fleshly desires that they kept saying yes to, they kept pursuing, and it was never satisfying. And so they wanted something more. And ultimately, uh, it leads to their destruction. And so we can see uh, how sin destroys everyone. Those that uh, get what they want and those who are, who are abused uh, or, or suffer uh, for other people's ungodly actions. And in fact, in this context or in this passage, Paul warns people that those who practice or do these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And what he's saying there, people that practice pursuing the desires of the flesh and never repent, they never turn to Jesus Christ for their forgiveness, Uh, they never turn away from sinful desire to turn to God. They're not new creations. They don't have the Holy Spirit dwelling within them. So Paul warns them, you know, to examine themselves. If this is the way you're living, you might not be a Christian. If you've never turned to Christ, uh, you might not be a believer. And the warning there is that they'll suffer eternal condemnation 
in hell apart from God. And then sin, in a temporal sense, will always lead to destruction in our lives. In contrast, let's think about God's commands. If we look at Deuteronomy 6.24, and the context here is that uh, the Israelites just heard the laws of God. And this is what they said. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. So what they're saying there is that God's commands are for our good always. They're always good for us. And they're a blessing to those around us as we obey God. And so it stands to reason if God's commands are for our good always, sin is always for our destruction. Always. We can be deceived into somehow thinking that the desires of the flesh will be good for us, but it never is. It never is. It always leads to destruction. Most importantly, God is not pleased. And why is he not pleased with these things? Well, because the desires of the flesh are void of love. Nobody benefits from it because there's no love involved. It's all selfishness. And God is love, as it says in 1 John 4, 8. And therefore, he can't be pleased with such things. God delights in love. He delights when we love one another. And most importantly, he delights when we love him. This is our calling as Christians, to live in love. So now we have a better understanding, hopefully, of the desires of the flesh and the destruction that they cause. Uh, But what are the desires of the Spirit? What does the Spirit desire for us? And this leads to the next point in our main idea. The Spirit desires that we will cultivate fellowship with God or we'll develop an ongoing relationship with God. And we can see this in John chapter 17, or John chapter 17, verse 3. The context here is that Jesus is praying to the Father shortly before his crucifixion. And he's praying that God would bless us and sanctify us and do a work in us uh, as his children. But he goes on to say, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So we are called to know the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And it's not just mere knowledge of him that we keep in the back of our minds. No, it speaks to a personal experience, an ongoing relationship in knowing God. It's just as you know uh, one another. It's as as, uh, you know your spouses. You have a close relationship with them. You know them. You study them. uh, You talk with them. This is the kind of relationship that God wants us to have. This is what the Spirit desires. And indeed, this is what Adam and Eve experienced before the fall. They had fellowship with God. And so now that the Spirit has come, we can again have that kind of relationship with God. So this is good news. We can live a life of walking uh, with God in our personal lives because God is a personal God and wants us to know him. Another thing that the Spirit desires, he wants us to love. Matthew 22, 37 through 40 speaks to this. And the context here is that the scribes and Pharisees are trying to test Jesus. They are walking uh, by the flesh. They're carrying out the desires of the flesh, not the Spirit. And so they're trying to test Jesus uh, to get him to, to give a wrong answer or to break the law. And so they ask him, what's the great commandment? And Jesus says this to them. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So this is our calling to love God. And the spirit empowers us to do this, to love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love each other. And so this is, uh, this is what the Spirit desires. And the good news is that with this commandment, because we don't always feel like loving God or feel like loving others, right? 
That's just uh, unfortunately the case in our, in our sinful uh, nature. But with this commandment to love, God has given us the ability to do so. We can see this in Romans chapter five, that God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. I'll read that text to you here. It says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And so there we see the promise reiterated. We have the Holy Spirit within us. He's been given to us. And with that, the Spirit has poured the love of the Father into our hearts. And the result of this is that that love overflows from within us back to God and to one another. He's given us a power through his Holy Spirit to love as he's commanded us to love. And it says in 1 John 5, 3, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. So as God has given us a command to love him, if we love him, we'll obey him. And if we're new creations, if the Holy Spirit dwells within us, that love is already in our hearts. And so we will fulfill those commands, uh, the commandment to love as God has given it to us. And it goes on there to say, and his commandments are not burdensome. Remember, they're for our good always. It makes good sense. It's not difficult or hard to think that obeying God is good. We might have uh, uh, difficult temptations that come against us, that weigh heavy on us, but God's commandments are not burdensome. God is good. So now that we know what the Spirit desires, to walk in love and to, to walk with the Father, to have an ongoing relationship with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, let's see what the fruit of the Spirit is. And in looking at our main idea, if we keep in, uh, if we keep in step with the Spirit, we will grow in holiness. This is what the fruit of the Spirit is. It's holiness. Let's look at the first one there. It's love. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8 gives us a good definition of love. So I'll read that to you. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. But God has called us to love. This is the calling. This is the desire of the Spirit. It's what we're called to do uh, with our lives. And God is love. And we can rejoice in that because of his great love for us. We have the hope of eternal life. We have his Holy Spirit that dwells within us. And the Holy Spirit will bear this fruit in our lives as we walk with the Father, as we'll see. Uh, joy is the next one. Great gladness or happiness. It's an overwhelming feeling related to the truths and promises of God. And we've all experienced this uh, personally. If we've seen God answer prayer requests that we've sent to him, we have joy that wells up in our heart because we see God's handiwork personally for us. That's God's love for us. He knows us and he hears our prayers. Peace. This speaks to harmony and order, freedom from worry. We know that God makes and keeps his promises. And as such, we can trust him. Even though it doesn't seem like things are gonna go well around us, we can know, we can be rest assured uh, that God will take care of us. For certainly all things work together for the good of those that love him. God is good and faithful. We will have that, that peace, that freedom from worry. Patience. This speaks to long suffering, steadfastness, being slow to anger. Uh, this is especially an important fruit when it comes to resisting temptation. Uh, the strength of those temptations can be fierce, 
right? It can nag at us all day. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can remain steadfast in resisting those temptations. And so that patience is, is worked out on our hearts. Kindness, to be good and generous towards others. And goodness, similarly, is to be generous towards others, especially in a, a materially or a spiritual way. Uh, we just seek uh, to be a blessing to others. We're kind and good to people. Faithfulness, this is having a steadfast trust in God. And as a result of the work of the Spirit in our lives, we are faithful. We're faithful to our spouses, to our families, uh, to one another as Christians, to our employers. Uh, we become faithful as people uh, because of uh, the work of the Spirit in us. Gentleness, this is being humble and meek and mild towards others. It's putting others' interests above our own. It's, it's thinking of others rather than being selfish as we saw in those desires of the flesh. Self-control, uh, again, this is in regards to denying ourselves. So in those temptations that look also tempting, uh, we can resist those because of the self-control that the Holy Spirit gives us. We can be steadfast in obedience to God. And so we can see, uh, just as we examine the desires of the flesh, we can examine uh, the fruit of the Spirit. Who benefits from the fruit of the Spirit? Everybody. Everybody around us. Uh, they're good. Uh, who is hurt by these things? Nobody. Uh, the fruit of the Spirit, all these things are things, these are how people want to be treated. And more than that, God is pleased with these things as they are love. They are the embodiment of love. Uh, there's no law against such things, as the text says. Now, I want to make an important contrast. When we look at that phrase, the works of the flesh uh, versus the fruit of the Spirit. Let's first look at the fruits of the flesh. Uh, it's important to understand works. When we think of works, we think of self-reliance, things that we do. And that's what happens when we pursue temptation, when we pursue sin, we are doing it. It's, it's part of our sinful nature. We are performing those works. Uh, we are going after them uh, with our sinful, corrupted nature. In contrast, the fruit of the Spirit, uh, this is something that the Spirit does within us. It's the power of God at work in us. So we don't need to go out and try harder at being peaceful or patient or those kinds of things. That's self-reliance. God is not pleased with that. God is glorified when we depend on him. Uh, unlike Adam and Eve, when they were in the garden, they didn't turn to God. But when we're uh, faced with temptation, we're called to turn to God. And in his power, uh, the fruit of the Spirit will be wrought out in our lives. So it's good. God does a mighty work in us. And it's evidence that we're Christians. If you're growing in these kinds of things, uh, that's an evidence or an indication that the Holy Spirit dwells within you and is bearing these, this fruit in your life. But let's move on to verse 25 and, and get a better understanding of how this works. Looking at that first phrase there, it says, if we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Living by the Spirit, uh, that verb there for live has an indicative mood. And basically it means that uh, living by the Spirit is already a reality. It's something that's already true. There's nothing we need to do. This happened. We live by the Spirit because we are new creations. The Holy Spirit regenerated us. He has made us alive when before we were spiritually dead. So living by the Spirit is something we already do as Christians. Uh, that's already happened because the Spirit has done that work. But then it goes on to say, if we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. That verb for keep in step has a subjunctive mood. And basically what that means is that it's probable that we'll keep in step with the Spirit, but we're to be intentional about it. So this is something that we're supposed to do. To keep in, the step, uh, in step with the Spirit is within our power to do so because we've already been given this power by God. 
It's basically resisting temptation and trusting God and walking with him. But let's take a look at a couple of passages that further define this for us. 2 Peter 1, 3-4 says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you, be, you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. So here we see God has already granted to us his power. He's already granted to us the ability, uh, uh, all the things relating to life and godliness. He's given this to us. Uh, this is the goodness of God. Uh, another promise to us that's already been given is 1 Corinthians 10, 13 through 14. It says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, Flee from idolatry. Good news, you can flee from idolatry. You can flee from the temptations of the desires of the flesh. I've heard some people say uh, they struggle because God hasn't delivered them from a sin. Well, I think what they're probably trying to say is God hasn't removed the temptation. And there's no guarantee that we won't be tempted. In fact, we're promised we're going to be tempted. But with the temptation, God makes the way of escape so that we can continue to resist and turn away from it. Uh, this is uh, God fulfilling his promise uh, that he gave to us uh, by giving us his Holy Spirit so that we could actually obey his commands. So how do we do this? Well, to put it simply, it's all in the mind. Paul says in Romans 8, 5, uh, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. And so it's where we put our attention. It's where we focus. If we focus on temptations, the things of this world, uh, the sinful desires of the flesh, well, guess what we're going to do? Those things. We're going to continue to sin against God uh, as we think about those things. But if we set our mind on the things of the Spirit, those desires of the Spirit that we talked about already, uh, to know God, to have fellowship with Him, uh, to walk in love, to obey God's commands, if we turn away from sin and turn to God, his power will be at work in us to do the very things that he's called us to do. We will bear the fruit of the Spirit. It goes on uh, to further define this in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. So don't set your mind on the sinful things of this world the corrupted things, the things that are in rebellion against God, the desires of the flesh. Rather, set your mind on the Father and the Son. Set your mind on things above. And as we learned, uh, God is a personal God. So if you, if you set your mind on him, uh, that implies that you're gonna have a relationship with him. That implies that you're gonna walk with him. You're gonna have fellowship with him. So in practice, it's drawing near to God in faith and walking with him in a life of prayer right? Paul says, pray without ceasing. That seems like a hard uh, commandment, but in act, all actuality, it's not, it's not a difficult thing. Uh, it's something that God calls us to do, and he gives us grace to do it. So when faced with temptation, and, and watch my body language here, we'll pretend God is behind me, and this is the temptation that I'm tempted with. And uh, as Christians, we can get caught in this rut. 
uh, in a sense, that we'll, we'll be faced with the temptation and we'll look at it and we'll say, no, I'm not supposed to do that. God doesn't want me to do that. Uh, I know it's not good. I'll feel guilty and I'll have consequences and all these kinds of things. Uh, but we sit there and focus on that temptation, that desire of the flesh. Because ultimately, in our heart of hearts, we really want to do that that thing or think that thought or what have you. And uh, one of two things inevitably are going to happen. We're either going to give into it, right? Uh, and then we'll turn to God and say sorry uh, until the next time that temptation comes. And then we'll probably give into it again after a little bit of fleshly struggle. Um, or we'll resist it in our own strength uh, for some period of time that we've set up such that we can say, oh, I didn't think that thought or do that thing or, or say that thing uh, for a day or a week or a month. And so we become self-righteous. We're proud of ourselves. Look, look what a good Christian I am. God must be proud. But this, brothers and sisters, is walking in the flesh. This is pursuing the things of the flesh because we're, we're relying on our own strength. It's the same thing that Adam and Eve did. They didn't turn to God. They relied on their own strength and ultimately uh, gave in to temptation. Conversely, walking by the Spirit, when faced with that same, temp uh, that same temptation, we turn away from it and we go to God and talk to him. Remember, the Spirit desires that we know him. Uh, so we can talk to God and say, Father, I love you. I'm not gonna go there. I'm not gonna pursue that temptation. I'm not gonna give in to that sin because I love you. And then continue on from there in your conversation with him. Uh, as people come to your mind, uh, loved ones, uh, pray for them. Pray that God would bless them. If you know they have needs, pray for those needs uh, that God would take care of them. If other people come to your mind, uh, that might be your enemy. Uh, people that you don't get along with or have mistreated you. Pray for them. Pray that God would bless them. And if they don't know the Lord, pray that God would use you uh, to share the gospel with them, uh, to make peace, uh, to reconcile with them. And go throughout your day like that. Uh, praise him as you come across these uh, precious promises that God has given us, that his Holy Spirit actually dwells within us, that we have eternal life to look forward to, that we can uh, overcome temptation as we walk with him. Rejoice in the Lord and do this throughout your day. I've heard some people say, you know, if you start your day out with 15 minutes of prayer, the rest of the day will go well. Eh, I don't, I don't think that's necessarily true. Do start with 15 minutes of prayer if you like, but continue on throughout your day. And you can do this while you're driving, taking a shower. You can do this uh, while you're running uh, or going to work or whatever. Uh, you can do this all day long. And will we have distractions? Even necessary distractions? Well, of course. Uh, but I think uh, as we go throughout our day and as we grow in our love for God, we're going to quickly return to him once we've dealt with those situations. And I think also uh, the more uh, we resist temptation and turn to God and enjoy fellowship with him, uh, the more quickly we're going to return to him and the more uh, likely we're going to continue to resist temptation. So my hope for all of this, us this morning is that we will draw near to God as he promises. If we draw near to him, he will draw near to us. I pray that you'll experience the fellowship that we can have with God. And as the disciples were on, their road to, uh, on the road to Emmaus and Jesus was talking to them, their hearts burned within them. I pray that you have a burning in your heart, a passion uh, to walk with God uh, throughout your day. Amen? Amen. You have been listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. For more information and audio content, visit us at whitefieldschurch.com. Make sure to tap the subscribe button if you would like to have new messages delivered to your device every week when they are released. If you have been blessed by this message and would like to support our ministry, you can do so by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts 
or by giving a donation to our church on our website at whitefieldschurch.com. 